0: This episode was released during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA Strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, shows like The Muppet Show wouldn't exist. You can learn more at sag and WGAContract2023.org. If you'd like to support the striking workers, please go to entertainmentcommunity.org.
1: It's Muppeturgy with a very canine episode about the Diane Cannon episode of The Muppet Show! Yay! Welcome back, everyone. I'm David Levy. I'm so glad you're here with us. Today with me are...
0: Adam Grossworth.
2: Christy Bauer. And Michal Richardson. I have a feeling
3: that we have perhaps misunderstood the question.
0: Uh, Just a little addition this week. It's fun when these things align. The week that we recorded the Shields and Darnell episode, uh, although many, many weeks before you heard it, or this, our friends and past guests, Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting, released an episode of their podcast, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, and uh, they talked about songs. And Mark happened to mention that My Sharona is considered the song that killed disco. And David had said that when that song was number one, the week of Shills and Yarnell, that it felt very 80s to him, and that seems like a good reason why. So we love Chart Facts.
3: Here is a Muppet News 20.
0: This week, we are talking about season four, episode four of The Muppet Show, which was produced the week of May 15th, 1979, and released in New York on February
2: 4th, 1980. It's the eighties,
0: It's our first episode of the 80s, y'all. That was the 13th episode to air, and I didn't even bother looking up what came before and after it, because we have definitely not gotten there yet. In the paper, there was a prison riot in New Mexico that has been quelled. The FBI is investigating congressional bribery allegations. I skimmed this article, but so this is like a wild thing about the newspapers of the past. They just assume that you were following things and knew everything. (laughs) Like they just pick up where they left off uh, with updates, which is great. But I couldn't quite tell what the bribery allegations were about. I think maybe they were immigration related. So, yeah, Uh, Lake Placid is getting ready for the Winter Olympics. DuPont. uh, This is a little bleak, so. B- bleakness warning dupont chemical company uh has apparently been blood testing new black employees and only black employees for the genetic trait that indicates they might have sickle cell anemia claiming that it was about concerns about them being exposed to chemicals but really was just racist uh in more fun news eight birds were stolen on long island detectives are on the lookout for two men who stole eight birds valued at a total of fourteen thousand dollars The Nassau County police said two men had put a $20 deposit on a bird at the Parrots of the World store Saturday afternoon and had said they would return later to pick it up. The two returned with a gun two hours later, took $2,000 from the cash register, packed the birds in cardboard boxes and drove off.
2: So they did return to pick up the bird.
0: (laughs) Well, yes. The police said the stolen birds were two macaws worth $3,500 each and a blue and gold macaw valued at $1,700. Two cockatoos worth $1,200 and a $1,000 umbrella cockatoo, a $1,500 green-winged macaw, and an African gray parrot worth $600. Mostly, I'm confused that the deposit was only for $20 if those are the values of the birds.
2: Nope, nope. An African gray parrot is not worth Any amount of money that they can pay you to take it off their hands. That is not $600 that anybody should pay. Tell us more about your wretched little shits.
0: Apparent trauma.
2: (laughs) (laughs) My aunt has an African parrot, and it hates everyone except for her. Oh. It speaks in her voice. Amazing. It answers the phone. It attacked my cousin. It threatened my cousin's baby. Like it, the baby had the nerve to be sitting on somebody's shoulders and be taller than the parrot considered was appropriate. And it like <laughs> it expanded itself. It like inflated its little wings and little body and made this giant sound like a truck was backfiring down the street somewhere. It was horrifying. Wow. <laughs> we like didn't realize it was coming from the bird. We thought it was traffic noise, but it was the bird just being upset that the baby was tall.
0: Well, it is the cheapest bird on this list, so... And for good reason. <laughs> Jerome Robbins is being honored at the White House, along with a salute to West Side Story. We- <laughs> Jerome Robbins was also a wretched little shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we actually did not discuss this last week, though it was in my notes that... When Scooter falls in the pit, all I could think of was the famous story about Jerome Robbins giving notes on stage at a rehearsal for, I think, West Side Story, but I'm not sure. I was going to say Fiddler. but It might be, yeah, for something. Uh, but he was he he was backing towards the edge of the stage, and no one told him. And he did, in fact, fall into the pit. <laughs> and he just sort of vit. So, yeah. But did he uh, get
4: yeeted back on stage by a tuba?
0: I'm guessing no. <clears throat> oh, man. Also, he seems like he would have been more talented than the parrot, so,
4: you know. probably landed
2: gracefully
0: there's a sort of like light news column that i is either new or i never noticed it before and i was going to read these but now we talked about parrots for a really long time but there's a story about um funny quote-unquote political parties at the university of california at berkeley and like student government elections and it's very weird and not very funny but it does feel very late 70s early 80s to me like humor wise And there's also a story with a great photo about an Ann Miller lookalike contest, which was benefiting the Cherry Grove Arts Association and the Islanders Social Club of Fire Island. But the people in the photo do not appear to be drag queens. So there's your Ann Miller news. In movies, Dom DeLuise is starring in Fatso, directed by Anne Bancroft. An overweight bachelor is fat, forty, and fed up to the gills when his obese cousin Sal dies at thirty-nine. He must finally come to terms with his own weight problem. No, thank you. No. Nope. Sounds terrible.
1: Sounds, That's it. Sounds like horrible. Offensive. It sounds like also you would just win an Oscar if you did it this year.
0: <laughs> well, no, but he would do it without makeup, so he wouldn't. Uh, you don't get an Oscar if you're actually fat. Kramer versus Kramer, which has been running since December. Uh, Norma Ray being there with Peter Sellers. American Graffiti. The Black Hole, which if I didn't mention it when we were talking about weird 70s robots last episode, I should have. The Black Stallion, don't get those two confused if you're bringing a small child. Also, um, both of those have porn parodies with the same names.
2: <laughs> no one is surprised.
0: <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Breaking away, uh, all that jazz and Star Trek are still there as well. On the Billboard Pop Charts, uh, if I have to go to a separate site, it might as well be Billboard, We Miss You, Ultimate70s.com. Uh, the number one song is Rock With You by Michael Jackson. And uh, just for a time capsule, number two is Do That To Me One More Time by The Captain and Tennille. And number three is Coward of the Country by Kenny Rogers.
2: So the 80s have arrived and also the 80s haven't arrived.
0: Correct. And on television, on CBS, WKRP in Cincinnati, Last Resort, MASH, and Lou Grant, ABC, Laverne and Shirley, Angie, which is new to us, Angie Falco is a middle-class Italian-American who marries the wealthy Brad Benson, and she soon learns how to adjust her new lifestyle the hard way, exclamation point, Uh, starred Donna Pesco, Robert Hayes, and Doris Roberts, Stone, Sergeant Daniel Stone has been moonlighting as a writer, and after he becomes a success with lots of fans, it leads to resentment on the force. Former friend Chief Paulson is among those unhappy. Not so. Buck Rogers. Yes, Buck Rogers. (laughs) Not sure how that happened. Uh, starred Dennis Weaver, who I've never heard of, and Pat Hingle, who you will best know as Commissioner Gordon from the four good Batman movies. And then Family, which was actually in its last season. It started in 76, but it has not been on our Mondays before. The Joys and Heartaches of the Lawrence Family of Pasadena, California. It was created by Jay Preston Allen, who also wrote the screenplay for Cabaret. And it starred Christine McNichol and Meredith Baxter and many, many, many other people. But those are the two names that jumped out at me. On NBC, Little House on the Prairie, The School for the Blind, Burns Down. This was also a very formative episode. I it don't didn't think this
2: happen so? already. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't we talk else...
0: about that episode on this show before?
2: Or did something else burn down into there's the skill a, to school for the blind? There's a
0: lot of blind school episodes. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I didn't catch it as a rerun when I was looking, but uh, it may have been. Um, and then highlights of the Ice Follies and Holiday on Ice, hosted by Tony Randall and Peggy Fleming. Is that two different things. It's it's one highlights. Ice Follies and Holiday on Ice are. Two Two different shows that they're exerting in the same. Okay. And not to be confused with the ice capades.
2: Were Tony Randall and Peggy Fleming on ice?
0: I mean, Peggy Fleming might have been. I doubt that Tony Randall was. (laughs) He might have been drinking something on ice.
2: He was just in a little Zamboni circling Peggy Fleming.
0: I would actually pay to watch that on Channel 9, a TV movie of Ionesco's Rhinoceros with Dean Wilder, Zero Mustel, and Karen Black. It That was a TV movie? Apparently. Huh. That, Do you think it was, was a movie more, movie? I think it was a movie movie. All right. Well, a movie on TV. <laughs> it's on Channel 9, so that actually makes sense that it would have been just a movie they were showing.
1: Yeah, it was a 1974 theatrical movie.
0: No, there you go uh we have not had a good local news ad in a while but uh this week at six and eleven all week on channel seven eyewitness news the women's movement in motion in the 70s women no longer had to hide behind their apron strings they could go out compete and win now it's the 80s and today's women want and know they can handle two jobs one at work and one at home Tonight Dr. Joyce Brothers talks with these women and she covers and uncovers a lot of topics from pregnancy and stress to childcare and even takes a peek into the bedroom. It's something you shouldn't miss. After all, you only live once. That was the headline you you only live once so live twice was the the top of the ad. Okay. Um and David Hartman interviews Henry, Henry Fonda all this week on Good Morning America. I don't know why that took all week, but there you go.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, with us tonight is one of Hollywood's nicest ladies. She's a wonderful actress, a terrific director, and a doer of goofy stuff like the following. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Diane Cannon!
1: Yay! Diane Cannon, actor, writer, producer, editor, singer, songwriter. Buckle in. There's just about nothing she can't do. Samil Diane Friesen was born in 1937 in Tacoma, Washington. When she was 17, she was crowned Miss West Seattle. At age 20, she dropped out of the University of Washington, moved to Arizona to live with an aunt, and got engaged to a traveling salesman, moved with him to L.A., ditched the salesman, and tried college again, this time at UCLA. While at UCLA, she had a part-time job modeling, which led to being discovered by Hollywood. She changed her name, signed to MGM, and began studying acting with Sanford Meisner. After some small television roles, she made her film debut in 1960 in The Rise and Fall of Legs Diamond. In 1961, she made headlines for her relationship with Cary Grant, who was 33 years older than her. They married in 1965 and divorced in 1968. Meanwhile, she made her Broadway debut in 1962 in The Fun Couple, which is a play I've never heard of, but also starred Jane Fonda, and starred in the first national tour of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Her breakthrough role was in the film Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice in 1969, for which she was nominated for both an Oscar and a Golden Globe. By 1973, she was Female Star of the Year, according to the National Association of Theater Owners. She had her own nightclub act, which she did in Vegas at Caesars Palace and at Harris in Lake Tahoe. After taking part in the American Film Institute's Women's Directing Workshop, she made Oscar history as the first woman to be nominated in categories on both sides of the camera, netting a Best Short Film nomination for Number 1, which she wrote, directed, edited, and scored. I'm not going to list all her credits, but some of her notable films include Such Good Friends, for which she got a Golden Globe nomination, The Last of Sheila, with Muppet Show guest star Raquel Welch, Heaven Can't Wait, for which she was nominated for both the Golden Globe and an Oscar, Revenge of the Pink Panther, Honeysuckle Rose, with Muppet Show guest star Chris Christopherson, uh, and she sings three songs on that soundtrack, Death Trap, with Muppet Show guest star Christopher Reeve, The End of Innocence, which she also wrote and directed, Out to Sea, and Kangaroo Jack. After years of avoiding offers to write about her relationship with Cary Grant, she finally published her memoir, Dear Cary, My Life with Cary Grant, in 2011. At 86, she is still active in show business. Diane and her daughter with Cary Grant, Jennifer Grant, are both producers on the upcoming British miniseries, Archie, which is based in part on her book. Does anyone have Diane Cannon memories?
2: So, not memories from the 80s. I know we're not a podcast about the year 1997. (laughs) But I, th- I think we can capably talk about how smoking hot Diane Cannon was in 1997. I watched Out to Sea a couple days ago, because <laughs> I've been having a Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon moment, and her job is just to be distractingly magnetic and captivating and tantalizing, and she is all of those things. Walter Matthau says at one point in that movie, I think he says she has an ass so beautiful it's a shame she has to sit down on it. <laughs> And it's amazing. Her job is just to, like, sit at a casino and look fantastic.
0: I did, in fact, watch Ally McBeal contemporaneously when it was on 1997. And, like, that show was a huge deal. And I... For reasons unrelated to Diane Cannon and this podcast, I recently started a rewatch and then ended that rewatch. And for reasons
2: related to this podcast, because Adam was doing it, I also started a rewatch and then (laughs) abandoned it.
0: And yeah, I think we I got a little further than you did, mostly because I wanted this week to see a little more Diane Cannon. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I skipped ahead to the next episode she was in, and then I was done. But she's great. And it's interesting cuz like I remember at the time like knowing it was a name like knowing that she was a person who was famous and that like there was a meta aspect to her in this role but I had not seen any of her earlier work at that point. But it's also interesting like from the vantage point of being about to turn 48 her whole plot she's a judge so she does judge stuff but she's also like in a relationship with the great german character and it's like a little bit scandalous both because she's a judge and he's a lawyer but more because she is so much older than he is. And like she is 20 years older than he is, but Greg German has always looked 39 and happened to get this big role when he was 39 and is, you know, is still working at grey's Anatomy and looks exactly the same. And then there's Dan Cannon who is just like stunning. And I'm like, I don't see what you're talking about. Like, why is this thing?
2: Like, she looks pretty on this episode of The Muppet Show and in The Last of Sheila and in early middle age. And then in later middle age, holy shit, I don't know what yeah. happened. <laughs>
0: I watched last of Sheila fairly recently for the first time because of, um, knives out. And a lot of people I know were watching it for the first time and it's great. And she's great in it. But then Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice had been on my list forever. And so I was like, Oh, I'll finally watch that. And I mean, all four of them are great. She is really great and really luminous. And, and then I was on our MTB, and I was like, Oh, heaven can wait. That sounds fun. It's not, (laughs) (laughs) but she is great in it. And she spends the entire movie with Charles Grodin and uh basically playing the same role he plays in the great muppet caper and so that's fun and she gets to be really funny in that which is not a thing that she gets to do she get a water ballet she doesn't sadly (laughs) (laughs) she's wonderful in everything i've seen her in now and and i guess i'm a diane cannon fan which is unexpected
1: I have a mental block on her to the point where when we started prepping for this episode, I said, I don't know if I've ever seen her in anything. And Adam was like, you watched Last of Sheila three weeks ago.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: I just knew you had. that's a movie you of all people would have seen. Right. Well, and we talked about it on the Raquel Welch episode. Um, and then she happened, Diane Cannon, to pop up as a character in the book I'm reading, which is a work of, I guess, historical fiction called Up With the Sun by Thomas Mellon, which is, a, I guess, a murder mystery that takes place in and around the world of Broadway. Uh, and uh, the guy who gets murdered was her co star from How to Succeed in Business. So uh, she figures in a couple places, as does Muppet Show guest star Kay Ballard. So hmm. uh, if you like mid century Broadway and murder mysteries, I recommend it.
2: That sounds fabulous. I want an annotated version for Muppet Show fans.
4: Yeah, that Ally McBeal appearance was my sort of go-to Diane Cannon frame of reference. I'd even asked my mom, I was like, so we're about to talk about Diane Cannon. She's like, yeah, Diane Cannon was married to Cary Grant, has amazing hair. I'm like, yeah, that's all I know too. (laughs) So it was fun to get her, get to see her do something other than uh, have her neck weirdly stroked by uh, Richard Fish and Allie McBeal. Loves his waddles.
0: And that's the least offensive thing about the first seven episodes of (laughs) So we clearly all like Diane Cannon. Christy, what'd you think of the episode?
4: (laughs) I thought this was really charming. I had a good time. I I don't think it's an all timer, but you know, I'm easily won over by dog shenanigans. So yeah. So top, top of the middle experience.
1: David. I think I liked it a little bit less. Um, Because it feels to me like this is confronting what might be the signature issue of season four, which is that the writers are ready to be writing a sitcom, but they still have to write a variety show. And so they don't quite know what to do with the guest star because she's sort of in the way of the sitcom that they want to write. And I think that's probably made worse that like one of her numbers is just like so unfortunate, like just so unpleasant i think uh, that that it also sort of uh, chips away at, at at what could have been a great episode and makes it sort of a middling episode
0: nicole
2: yeah i agree with both of you it's a top of the middle kind of episode there's a lot of fun to be had i had a doggone good time there was some fun stuff but also yeah i did feel like this could have been a showcase for Diane Cannon or it could have been a showcase for this plot and it was kind of neither but I still had a good time
0: yeah I'm mostly with Christy but I think that's a good point about it not showcasing her enough or well enough but yeah I really enjoyed it I did not think I remembered it and then we got to the last number and I was like oh I definitely remember this and uh and actually the her first number too and she does that thing we've talked about where she is so good with the Muppets. Um, including like having to deal with like some handoffs and some holding and, but like, so technically she's good with them, but then also just like, you can tell that she 100% believes that they are real people and a real dog that she's falling in love with. And I just found that very charming in a way that kind of covered over some of the possible flaws.
2: She sure does fall in love with that dog.
0: Oh my God. I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> I, might, I might cry huh? again. <laughs> oh my
3: god, <laughs> Diane Cannon. Fifteen seconds to curtain,
1: Diane.
2: Oh, hi, Scooter. Thank you. Just be sure to warn me when it's time to go on stage, will you?
1: Oh, well, that's not for a long time. First, got to worry about the curtain.
2: Oh, no, I don't.
1: (laughs) Yes, you do.
2: Yes, you do, because a curtain with no context just falls on her in her dressing
0: room. And Scooter is such a dick about it. (laughs) Like, what a (laughs) smug little shit. (laughs)
2: Yeah, and what a good sport she is. Uh, to bring back our, our yay correspondent from way back in the first season, we have a small development at the opening of the episode.
0: is the first weird one we've had in a while.
3: It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Diane Cannon! Woo!
2: Woo! As long as we're in little Kermit weirdnesses, do you want to do the little Kermit fanfare clip?
0: Oh, sure. Dom da da dum dom
3: what i said so cute
2: it felt like a nice little ad lib it seemed like they were just having a fun day elsewhere in the intro Fufu, the live version of the dog runs down the stairs backstage and then beauregard wonders who let that dog in here and that's that's his little bit uh gonzo blows the trumpet which rings like a telephone and then gonzo looked surprised and then immediately just nonchalantly picks up the trumpet and says hello and he's not home so that's fun.
0: Speaking of phones,
3: I'm uh, up at Joe backstage.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well called back. One quick little backstage moment before the actual backstage plot. Diane Cannon in her dressing room has encountered a wig, but she's not going to wear
3: it. Uh, is, is the wig all right? Listen, I was going to ask you about that. I'm not
2: wearing a wig in this show.
3: Oh, no, it, it's not to wear, it's a, uh, it's a pet wig. <laughs> Uh, it, it belongs to smiling Jim Sepulveda and his tap dancing toupees I've never
4: seen a pet wig before what do you feed them?
3: Oh anything, uh, table scraps mostly
4: really? table scraps? Mm-hmm.
0: okay, I have three things to say about this <laughs> Diane's hair in this episode is extremely 1979 so when she said I'm not wearing a wig I was like, wait, really?
2: <laughs> yeah, I had questions about her hair
0: yeah, I mean, through no fault of hers it's the style of the time it's unfortunate. This puppet looks like a cross between the Gay Pride Langolier and Fizzgig.
2: I mean, the Gay Pride Langolier does look like Fizzgig.
0: I guess so, but now it's brown, so now it really looks like Fizzgig.
1: Like Fizzgig,
0: who's had a blowout. Yes, it was 1980. And I just uh, Jim Sepulveda uh, made me think of Clive Coenga, and I'm wondering if this is a thing that they're just going to keep naming characters after Los Angeles streets.
2: Better that than New York streets. Because Clive 10th, or Jim of the Americas, just doesn't have the same (laughs) ring to it.
1: I don't know. I think Jim of the Americas is a great character. Yeah, Yeah, all right. Much better than Molly Mulholland.
0: You you have to go to the east side.
2: Any of these could be my burlesque act name.
0: Clive Columbus.
2: Hmm. All right. What are we doing?
0: Anyhood, let's talk about fufu.
2: Yes, let's let's talk about fufu backstage this we week. We don't
0: talk about Foo-Foo. Sorry. Oh, boy.
2: No, we're gonna friggin' talk about Foo-Foo. <sighs> so backstage this week, uh, Piggy is basically attempting to gaslight Kermit into believing that the two of them are co-parenting a dog.
3: Isn't that adorable? It is not adorable! The dog is on the stage! Oh, oh is the funny, furry Foo-Foo on that dusty? I am not this dog's dad. Dad. <laughs> Pardonnez us, everyone. <laughs> Pardonnez us, everyone. What's that? That is French. Pardonnez us, everyone. All <laughs> Voo
4: knows is swamp talk. Can <laughs> you just get this dog off the stage? Fufu laughs when when she says all he knows is swamp talk, and it's very cute.
2: Yeah, Fufu is enjoying this, and everybody else is also enjoying this. Gaslighting attempt. Like whenever anybody else calls Kermit the dog's dada, they're they they've got a little smile. They know that something is afoot.
3: Well, Kermit, can't you do something? I mean, you're the dog's dada. <laughs> I am not that dog's dada.
0: I don't love Kermit being this hostile towards a dog, but Fufu does seem like kind of a little shit.
2: Fufu does seem like a little shit,
0: at least to Kermit.
2: Kermit may be disgruntled right now, but this week's dramatic anti hero is Floyd.
3: Wait, wait a second, you guys. I have to go introduce Diane Cannon. Would you take care of Fufu, Scooter? <laughs> uh, I have to tell Diane she's on. Take care of Fufu, Fozzie. Uh, listen, uh, I got a date with a polar bear. Uh, take, take care of Fufu, Gonzo. Uh, oh, I've got an anvil in the oven. Of Floyd. Uh, I think I got the whooping cough. Take care of Fufu, you? Uh, uh... Oh no!
2: <laughs> I love that moment that it, they're each obviously thinking of an excuse and pulling it out of their hat, but it all seems like something they could plausibly say. Gonzo has an anvil in the oven, so Floyd is stuck taking care of Fufu, but he has other plans.
3: Uh, just remember all of Fufu's Foo things are right here on the table. There's her brush and there's her Angora sweater. Mm.
4: <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh,
3: isn't that cute?
4: <laughs> yeah. uh, oh and there is her the bowl and her little spoon.
3: You want I shed spoon feeder? <laughs>
2: The way everybody says spoon is just so adorable. And the dog is holding a teeny tiny spoon in its mouth and Piggy and the dog and the spoon all nod when Floyd is like spoon feeding. And they're like, uh-huh. You better believe it.
0: There's something about you want, I should spoon feed her. That just <laughs> feels very unFloyd to me, but I like it.
2: Felt very committed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I have, I have known many dogs who hang out in dressing rooms and this is not how you do it. <laughs> like you have a dog who can be chilled by itself for however long you're on stage, or maybe, you know, you have a dresser who, you know, you tip really well, bring back Hilda. It just, it just does not, this does not feel like how you would do this. And I question Miss Piggy's actual care for Fufu. Oh, really?
1: Miss Piggy is unable to care for something that is not herself.
0: I think Fufu is uh, safely an extension of Miss Piggy. Also, she gets really upset. It's actually kind of upsetting how upset Miss Piggy gets when Fufu is missing.
2: Yeah. So uh, let's explain. Fufu goes missing because Floyd has decided that the best way to care for Fufu is to stuff her in a drawer. (laughs) And no one may rest until this little terror is found. And Miss Piggy is beside herself. Fortunately, Diane Cannon comes into her dressing room and she's here to help.
4: Piggy, this is the theater. And you are a star. Now you must go on, Piggy.
3: I mean, the whole world expects it of you, don't they? Your loyal fans expect it of you, Piggy. Your frog expects it of you. Yes. Yes. You must look away from the tragedy. You must fight back the
1: tears, and you must look to the
3: footlights. Yes, Piggy. Yes, this is your legend. And this is your life. Yes, Diane. Yes. Hand me my wrap.
2: Miss Piggy decides to go on, but by then she's taken so long that her number has been canceled. There are a lot of last minute cancellations of numbers this week. I just, uh, I I felt Adam uh, recoiling in horror as I was watching.
0: Somehow the last minute cancellations don't bother me like the last minute additions do. Kermit's very chill about it, so I just have to assume that he found something else to put on stage and everything was fine.
2: Yeah, it happens a few times, though, that he says, okay, cancel the number, and then they move on, but we don't know to what.
0: Yeah, no, it's a fair point. It just, there's something about, like, you know, a number that's already been planned being then announced. Like, oh, I'm ready. Great, I'll put you on next. Like, Wait, what?
4: <laughs> Speaking yeah. of being bothered by things, we skated over the fact that Floyd put Fufu in a drawer. That was really upsetting to me.
0: He <laughs> can breathe through the keyhole. <sighs>
4: I mean, I know that Fufu's a little shit, but, like, I don't know.
1: I don't know what dogs are like, but my cat loves sitting in a drawer. I mean, I don't close it on her, but, like, every time my drawer is open, she,
0: like, tries to jump in.
2: It's How cat-like cool do we place. think Fufu is, though?
0: Yeah, not very. But, I I mean, I... Yeah, I didn't... I don't know why it didn't bother me. It, it is, like, he does really slam it shut. And, of course, no one knows Fufu is there, which, you know, could be a long-term problem if <laughs> not found. But...
2: It is very cute when Miss Piggy is crying and asks for a tissue, and Diane Cannon reaches over to the drawer, opens it. Foo-Foo pokes her little head out, holding a tissue in her mouth, and then gets the drawer closed under <laughs> again. Yeah.
0: It's a nice little moment. And Diane Cannon does really great work in this scene. like with She's got to deal with a lot of props and a hysterical Piggy and the drawer, and the, she ends up picking Foo-Foo up uh, near the end of it. It's, it's pretty great.
1: Fufu is performed by Steve Whitmire, and I think that makes Fufu Steve's first like main recurring character, right? I think so.
2: I'm only laughing because we just keep giving firsts to Steve Whitmire.
1: Well, because <laughs> he's working his way up the chain. He had a first line, and then a first singing line, and now a first real character. A first like named we're, we're sticking
4: stars on a, a a little progress chart. Like exactly. good for you. Yeah, he grew a couple
2: inches. <laughs> good for Steve.
4: I would just like to note that I tried saying oo dee boo 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 to Avira and she didn't respond to it at all. Anyway, let's talk about our opening number, which is a little bit of old time rock and roll. Here they are, friends and foes, uh, the polar opposite of Bobby Benson's baby band. It's Jerry and the Atrix.
0: Except oddly similar. (laughs) Yeah,
4: Yeah, they they do kind of hit the same beat somehow.
1: They have a major advantage, which is that
0: they have real instruments and not toy instruments. Yes, they do sound much better. But the voices and the faces are both somewhat similar. Yes.
2: Yeah. I really wanted them to rock harder. I I needed this to be about 25% faster. (laughs) They're doing their best.
4: That they are. And they're doing their best on Hound Dog, which is a pretty famous song, but we can talk about it. Um, It's a Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller song. We've talked about these guys before. They were major, major mid-century hit makers. They wrote Kansas City, On Broadway, Stand By Me a bunch of Elvis songs, including this one. And as of this recording, knock on wood, I'm literally knocking on wood, Mike Stoller is still around. He's 90 years old. And this was originally recorded by Big Mama Thornton in 1952, and they wrote it for her. And it was her only big hit. It spent seven weeks at number one on the R&B charts. And uh, her recording is in the Grammy Hall of Fame and on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 Songs That Shaped Rock and Roll list. And fun fact, so is Elvis's version Uh, Elvis' version came out four years later in 1956, and it was simultaneously number one on the pop, country, and R&B charts.
1: Wow. How did this get on the country chart? Yeah. Elvis.
2: Yeah, he just defied reason and categories.
1: I guess I don't know how things get assigned to the chart that they get assigned to. Does it have to do with like where they're getting played?
4: Yeah, I would think so.
1: Like country radio. Right. Yeah. I know there was some question when the Electric Mayhem album hit number one on the children's music chart because uh, the folks who made the album did not think of it as children's music.
2: Yeah, it's definitely not kids' music. It's definitely old dad music.
1: Yeah, the thing about kids' music and old dad music is that's actually a circle. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's the horseshoe principle of old dad music.
0: Exactly. asking me about not knowing any children's songs, but knowing uh abbey road by heart when i was Uh four years old
2: (laughs) i appreciate the theme here i appreciate that there are a bunch of old lady rockers rocking out life goals for me
1: i thought the theme was dogs
2: oh you're not wrong (laughs) my life goal is to sing about dogs enjoy other people's dogs but never to own a dog
1: fair
4: bravo bravo oh they were terrific
1: well they should be they've been practicing since
4: 1908 and now let's go to the jungle. Bungle, oh, bungle,
3: bungle, bungle, we don't want to leave the jungle. Oh, no, no,
4: no, no, no. Oh, bingle, bangle, bungle, we're so happy in the jungle, we refuse to go. Don't want no
2: penthouse bathtub, discos, taxis, noise in our ear.
0: So no matter how they call us, we'll stay right
4: So this is a song called "Civilization," that is from a Broadway musical called "Angel in the Wings," from 1947. It's written by Bob Hilliard and Carl Sigman, and it was introduced by a 22 year old Elaine Stritch, okay. and, who later uh, played Diane Cannon's mom in the movie "Out to
2: Sea," <laughs> 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 and did a whole little tap number with Donald O'Connor.
4: It sounds like I need to see out it. It does season. sound I like you need to see. Might. Movie. <laughs> so, truly wild fun fact about. This particular song, uh, at least five versions of it made the Billboard charts. Uh, there was a version by uh, the Andrews Sisters and Danny Kay. There was a That's the one Prima. I know best. There's a Louis Prima version, a Smiling Jack Smith version, a Ray McKinley version, and a Woody Herman version. The Andrews Sisters and Danny Kay version was the biggest hit. It peaked at number three. But the week of December 26, 1947, all five versions were on the chart simultaneously. What? <laughs> Christ. The start line. <laughs>
2: Nobody oh. wants to leave the Congo.
1: So when I referred to a number of hers that I thought was uh, I don't remember what words they used. Painful, embarrassing. Uh, this is what I was talking about. I assumed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, uh, and I like the song in the abstract. I just, I hate the arrangement here. I think that they take a lot of the fun out of it. The part that we just clipped is actually a better part. They 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 really do violence to the verse by like slowing it down and giving it this weird seventies vibe and, and, and I don't know, just like nothing about it worked. I think that setting the song in the actual jungle makes a song more racist than it actually is, or than it needs to be uh, just yeah, uh, I just really was uncomfortable with everything going on in here.
0: Hmm. This is my only association with the song. And, and I did, it did kind of come back to me when it started playing as a thing from childhood. And so I'm sure everything you're saying about the arrangement is true, but it sounds fine to me. Cause it's the only way I know it. And like, yeah, the song is like right on the edge of problematic, but since what they're saying about is how terrible the city and the people in it are. And wouldn't it be nice to just be uncomplicated in the wilderness? I mean, the fact that they specifically say the Congo is not great, but yeah, like I just, I was like, this is fine. And then in this version, like she seems to live there. Like she's in kind of a Jane and Jane from Tarzan and Jane outfit. And there's a, there's, there's the, he's not a monkey. I don't, you know, What's his name from last week? Kongo. Bongo the gorilla. Oh, his name is Bongo. Okay. Uh, not, not Bongo. Congo. Okay. That's confusing. Quango, Quango. Sorry. Still, still confusing. <laughs> um, He's there. There's a tiger, a couple of snakes. Um, but then like these pig tourists arrive and like one of them has a little camera and one of them has a sweater over his shoulders. I said pig. I meant penguins. They're also pigs. Oh, no, they're also pigs. Right. Yeah. There are pigs who I guess are on safari. But they're also taking pictures. And then but the penguin tourists are just the cutest thing ever. And also a walrus pops up. It's not really clear if he lives there or is with the penguins. I don't know. It's great. (laughs) I thought it was great fun. I loved it.
4: (laughs) They confused Uh, you so much that you had a good time. (laughs) There was something about the arrangement, too, that made me wonder if this song was at least subconsciously an inspiration for the song uh, Ain't Got No and Hair.
0: Oh, yeah, I could see that.
4: That's so just like the like listing things and listing things and listing things,
0: um, yeah, yeah. I will be pedantic because I'm me. Uh, she Diane plays uh, some drums in this uh, that are congas. They are not bongos, as the lyrics says, nor are they congos because that's not a type of drum. They are congos, and I don't know why they didn't just give her bongos, which would be just as easy for her to play.
1: Well, bongos don't. St- stand on their
0: own, so no, it might have been them, harder to stage. You put them on a little stand. Mm. Someone didn't play percussion in 5th and 6th grade.
2: Was she actually a drummer? I mean, or is she? She's still around. She might be drumming right now for all I know. Is that <laughs> well, among her Life goals. list of talents?
1: I mean, she was a singer-songwriter, so it's possible that drums were
0: among her uh, among her instruments, but I don't know. Because it was my instrument in 5th grade, I will say with confidence that anyone can do what she is doing even a uncoordinated fifth grader on the congos or the bongos. So there Harry Belafonte, she's not
1: literally today when looking up things about this song, I learned that the Congo refers to a whole region of Africa and not just what is now a country called Congo. Huh. So that also may be like a little, more comfortable with, like, the context of the song. Although, again, like, having a white lady dressed up like Raquel Welch about to wrestle a spider, sing it, eh, a little weird. <laughs> it's the 70s slash 80s. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> Happy 1980.
3: Is that Diane? Sure it was. Didn't you recognize her?
1: I thought she wore a black patch over one eye.
3: No, no, no. That's her sister, Marcia Diane. <laughs>
0: I had to look that one up.
2: And that's how we learned (laughs) that former Israeli defense minister Moshe Dayan has a Muppet Wiki page because of this joke.
1: He was foreign minister at the time of this episode. I looked that up.
2: Ah, Thank you. (laughs) I think he was best known for being defense minister, but yes, all the above.
1: Yeah, I I had to look it up because I was like, oh, was he prime minister? Is that why he was internationally famous? But no, like You know, decorated general and then various ministers. And, uh, like, I I don't know. Can you name the defense minister of any other country right now? Only if they have an iconic eye patch, I guess.
3: I didn't understand all of it, but I'm certain the English people enjoyed it.
4: (laughs) And on that note, here's what's in our UK spot this week.
3: Modulate! Not warm the winter's day the true warm The war Of the <laughs> 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 They're
4: so sad. They are usually it's like Danny boy that inspires this kind of just full on weeping, but no, this is a song called man's best friend came from a 1956 album called songs of the Pogo. And it was written by Walt Kelly and Norman Monath and Walt Kelly was the cartoonist of the comic strip Pogo. So appropriate and Pogo, if you're not familiar with it is about a possum named Pogo and it ran from 1948 to 1975 And Walt Kelly started out as a Disney animator, primarily on Donald Duck cartoons, but he worked on some of the movies. He worked on Fantasia and Dumbo and a few of the others. And I I read a bleak but funny thing about Walt Kelly, which is that he, uh, so he died in 1973. And in the last few years of the strip, he had some health problems and he ended up losing a leg. And so he like, delegated the work to his assistants and they kept rerunning strips, but uh, he apparently kept telling people that he was going to return to work as soon as he regrows his leg. <laughs> that was funny, dark, funny. Um, and Norman Monath his uh collaborator on this is an interesting character. He collaborated at other points with Hal David and Sammy Kahn, uh, who have popped up at various points along our journey. And at one point he was the music and chess editor for Simon and Schuster and it was difficult to find stuff about him initially but i uh, tracked on his obituary and the guest book on his obituary is a wild ride so he he passed away in 2011 and the comments range from his wife saying good night my piano man and calling him the love of her, of her life to his son saying i didn't meet my father until i was 20 years old but he was a successful composer author editor and book publisher good lord yeah so
2: there's a story there. Um, he was successful at some things. Yeah, <laughs>
0: apparently. Um, he wasn't. He wasn't busy parenting. He had lots of time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was shocked to see a songs of the pogo song pop up in season four because we had a big run of them in. I want to say season two. The one that I remember most was Miss Mosey singing "Don't Sugar Me" in the teacup. And I thought that we had sort of like much like the run of a Burrow songs. I thought we we're kind of done with that, and so. Uh, this was a surprise. I also like when I heard it on the show. I, I, I did not assume. I had no idea where it came from, but I just thought that this was like an old
0: Irish pub song kind of yeah, thing. I, I assumed it was musical nonsense. Yeah. Uh-huh.
3: You think this show constitutes cruelty to animals? Not unless you are watching it.
4: So we we have discussed it at length in the past, but it, we should definitely shout out that uh, in the uh, pep talk that. Diane Cannon gives Piggy in her dressing room that Piggy is humming. There's no business like show business. Shout out to Ethel Marmon.
0: I do love that Miss Piggy is underscoring her own pep talk. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Don't you? Anyway, we close out the show with uh, some money burning a hole in our pocket.
3: We could see you were a girl of distinction, a real big spender. Good looking, so refined. Wouldn't you like to
2: know what's going on in my mind? Let me get right to the point.
3: I don't pop my cork for every dog I see. Hey, big spender!
4: Big Spender, which is from the musical Sweet Charity from 1966, music by Cy Coleman, lyrics by our favorite Dorothy Fields. And uh, yeah, Sweet Charity, if you're not familiar with it, is a musical that's euphemistically about sex workers. They're dance hostesses, which was a thing decades prior to the time of Sweet Charity, but wasn't really a thing in the 60s. Also a thing in the movie Out to (laughs) Sea. Are we just slowly becoming an out-to-see podcast? (laughs) At least today
1: we are. you are worse things to (laughs) be.
4: So, yeah, this song uh, was recorded by Peggy Lee in 66. And then a year later, Shirley Bassey had a version that charted in the UK. And I actually, uh, before we talk about other moments in this, uh, found a clip of Dorothy Field singing it.
2: Would you like to have fun, fun, fun? How's about a few laughs, laughs? I can show you a good time. I can show you
4: a good time. The minute you walked in the joint, I could see you were a man of distinction. A real big spender, good looking So. Speaking of old lady rockers. Oh man.
0: I have that album.
4: (laughs) I thought that was delightful.
0: (laughs) We're also not a Bob Fosse podcast, but it's so like that song is so inextricably linked to his choreography and the way it was arranged for his choreography. It's so, which like, even though the Muppet version is not that obviously like the arrangement is pretty similar. um, And like the rhythm of it and they even sort of make like the dog's Turn their heads at certain points and and it's just so weird to hear it not that with that yeah. like jaunty piano line.
4: Yeah. Blink, 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 blink. So we should describe what's actually happening. So Diane so walks into a a pet shop full of various Muppet dogs. Uh and it's very sweet. They're all trying to get her oh, attention wait, the
0: dogs
1: are not a euphemism for sex workers.
0: Well, I mean, they are not
2: yet. <laughs> yeah, but
0: well, and this is one of my favorite kind of up at numbers, you know. And when I said last time that the that take a chance on me was like super lazy, I wasn't actually thinking of this, but I could have been right. Like, it's both sort of acknowledging the actual context of the song that that yes, they do want her attention, so she will buy one of them, which is literally what the song is about. Um, but then it's doing you know something different and kid-friendly with it, but if you're a grown-up, you're going to get both sides of that joke. And, like, I don't take a chance on it. There's just bunch of birds singing the song. Like, it didn't, there was nothing, it was neither in super literal staging, like, uh, like Congo, or, nor like anything clever like this. It, it just was nothing. And I'm mad about it all over again.
4: There were no chances being taken.
0: None.
2: Whereas it was fun to hear uh, when we listened to the clip of this, because I wasn't really noticing the orchestration while I was watching Diane Cannon, and a bunch of Muppet dogs, but you know, they have orchestrations that are appropriate to the song, but then they also have the dogs singing along with the arrangement, which is a, a fun little emphasis that I wouldn't have thought to do myself, but they were like, Oh, the dogs should bark along with the little symbol hit.
0: And yeah. that's sort of like, I mean, this is, like what I was saying about the choreography being so linked to it in my head, like they're kind of singing the choreography, right? Like that's what the the dancers do on those beats. They don't mm-hmm. vocalize it. They move it, but the Muppets can't really do that. So they're singing it instead. I just, it all worked so well for me as somebody who, who's heard the song a gajillion times, but this was probably the first time I ever heard it when I watched this back in 1980.
4: So we should also mention that at the moment in which uh, Diane spots the dog that she ends up taking home uh hashtag adopt don't shop they play a clip of the theme from love story where do i begin and it's the second of three times uh that it'll appear on the show so it, it was an actual song in, in a uk spot in season one in the lena horn episode and we will get it again in a very appropriate context fairly soon but fun fact uh, the l- lyrics to uh, the theme from Love Story were written by Carl Sigmund, who c- co-wrote Civilization. Hmm. So, I doubt that that, that was uh, a conscious choice, but it's a delightful one.
0: Uh, I do have a clip, because uh, I also, I think we want to talk about these changed I lyrics we do. that come after it.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: To be mine, yours.
0: So when we adopted my very sweet and anxious dog at a (laughs) shelter, but this, this set sort of has shelter vibes, even though like the lyrics only work if it's a store, he was like cowering in a corner and it was a room with other dogs. And we spotted him and kind of had this moment in real life without the love story underscoring. And I I don't know, it just, just gets me. And this dog puppet is so cute. And Diane Cannon is fully in love with him. (laughs) It is great.
4: Oh, it, it reminded me of the, the moment that I adopted my dog, too, because they, they brought in, she was one of a, a litter of four, and two of the four were gone by the time I got to the, the rescue place. But um, it was her, they, they all had Halloween names, and the two that were left were Elvira and Chucky, and the lady put Elvira and Chucky down in the pen, and Chucky was a wild man, like he just ran around in the pen and... You know, every so often my mom will ask, where do you think Chucky is right now? And my answer is always the same. Jail. Um, <laughs> but uh, but Elvira did a thing where she just sort of like walked to the edge of the pen and sat down and looked up at me. And I, I, I'll admit the first time I watched this, I I, I teared up a little bit. Yeah. I was like, that, that's what it's like. Aww. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. I mean, I didn't say a weird thing about getting a big bone, but... <laughs> <laughs> the the rest of it uh, is, is pretty true to life.
2: <laughs> she could get you a big bone. I don't even know what else to say about it.
0: Yeah, it's a little weird, especially knowing the original context of the song.
2: Even without the original context, they're falling in love. It's lovely. Then they bring bones into it.
0: The dog that Diane Cannon adopts, uh, who we are all in love with, uh, is the same dog, according to Muppet Wiki, from Dog Walk, Jogging, and River Road. So... Good on this dog for working consistently. Hooked and blessed. Does the dog have a name? No. I think it's just a spaniel.
4: Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey.
0: What? And get out of show business.
2: So for our show business this week, uh, we stay on theme. The Swedish chef is cooking the hottie doggies and putting them in the hottie potty. <laughs> I'm saying that with a, an unhelpfully Italian-esque <laughs> accent. I don't know what's going on. They're they're little wieners. He's putting them in a giant steaming pot. Uh, When she says wiener,
1: she means sausages, not wiener dogs.
2: uh, Yeah. He's he's referring to them as dogs. Uh, When Miss Piggy, who haws her way onto the stage, she, like, appears at the bottom of the frame. (laughs) Like, she's trying to whisper and not be noticed by the camera. Um, But when she does this and asks if he's seen her dog... He's like, oh, yes, the hottie doggie is in the potty. And uh, Miss Piggy tries to give him a karate chop and runs into the the pot lid, which is very satisfying if violent.
0: I just want to note that the chef is actually making hot dogs correctly, which is very confusing. They go in the hottie potty. They do. At least that's how I make them.
2: I get mine at Yankee Stadium. I don't know how you actually cook them.
3: I don't understand him. Why doesn't he go back to what he was doing before he became a chef? What was that? Nothing. (laughs)
2: <laughs> they know a lot about Swedish <laughs> chef's life history. Anyway, this week on Veterinarian's Hospital, one of the Atrix, as in Jerry and thee, uh, is on the operating table. And the joke this week is, the patient is old.
3: Lady, how old are you? Young man, I am an octogenarian. I asked your age, not your religion. <laughs> Ooh, Dr. Bob! I just wanted to make a little joke. Did you want to make it that little? You know, young, man, young man, young man, do you know what an octogenarian is? Sure, you're like a vegetarian, only you eat octopuses. <laughs> Ooh, Dr. Bob, please, this patient is dying! She's dying, we're all dying!
1: We're all dying slowly. I was glad to see Veterinarian's Hospital, because I feel like we haven't seen it in a minute. Not my favorite, though.
2: Nope. They made some decently bad jokes. But yeah, we haven't seen it in a while. We haven't had much show business lately. They've been getting more into backstage plots and production numbers for the stars, which is not a bad thing.
1: Do we have any kind of clip we can play here?
3: Oh, nice segue.
1: Small. Good blend. hmm mm. Well, thank you. Because I did not have a segue into asking if we have final thoughts on this episode.
2: So there's a moment before that finale where Kermit says the show's gone to the dogs, and this very gruff, tough-looking dog stalks on and says, "Some people think that's a good thing." And it sounds a lot like the Frank Oz stagehand we've been hearing from from off-screen throughout the show. Do we think this is the stagehand or just a
0: mean-looking dog? I I did not make that connection. So I'm going to vote no.
1: Okay.
0: But it's possible because we don't know why that dog is in the theater and on stage.
1: Right. We don't see that dog anywhere else in this episode, do we? I don't think so. So he's not an actor. They built a lot of dog puppets for this. They
0: sure did. Did they build them or are they all recycled?
1: I I just felt like, I mean, there's some that are recycled. Like we see Afghan Hound and we see Baskerville, but it felt like there were. A bunch of new dogs. Maybe they're Sesame Street dogs, but maybe. they're a oh. bunch of dogs I didn't recognize.
0: The stagehand dog is in Ralph's number. I'm looking at the at the GIF.
1: Anyway, maybe that was they a- just have a lot of dogs that I've just never seen them all in one location.
3: Well, I think I'll go to the dentist. Now? sure. After this show, nothing hurts. <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. Join us in two weeks when we'll go to jail for the Victor Borga episode. You can find us on social media at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. Buy our merch at Muppeturgy.com slash store. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Ryan Backus, and this episode was edited by me, David Love.
4: Now I'm imagining that whole sequence and Great Muppet caper, but with Diane Cannon in the Miss <laughs> Piggy part. But yeah,
0: she's not in the Piggy minute. role. She's yeah. she's in cahoots with uh, with Charles Gordon.
4: Ecstasy. Which is not a
0: spoiler. It's very
2: Diane Cannon.
4: <laughs> <laughs> One caress. Diane Cannon. <laughs> 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 <laughs>